0: We all love movies with happy endings. The hero rescues the child. Boy finally wins girl. Justice prevails. In fact, it's almost taken for granted that when Hollywood makes a movie, it's going to finish with a happy ending. So I reckon if Hollywood ever gets round to making Jonah the movie, it'll stop at the end of chapter three. Because that's the happy ending, isn't it? Jonah arrives in Nineveh after a series of adventures and he delivers his message and the people astoundingly repent and pray to God and plead that he'd show mercy. And the suspense builds. What will God God do? Will he destroy them or not? And then the climax. God forgives them. The whole city. And he didn't do what he'd threatened. That's the big finale, isn't it? It's, it's the epic ending. You can imagine the, the camera panning away from the city with everybody cheering and laughing, hugging each other, and then the final credits roll. But that's not the way the story goes. It doesn't finish at Chapter 3, but that's not the point of the story. The main point of the story is not that Nineveh's saved, as wonderful as that is. It's not a story about the saving of Nineveh. Maybe if the book had ended at chapter 3, we may have been able to argue that. The book of Jonah is about God, about who he is, what motivates him, and about how Jonah fits into God's plans, or doesn't fit in, which is perhaps more accurate. And chapter 4 is where our growing uncertainty about the character of Jonah is reinforced. The chapter starts with Jonah unhappy. It's actually a bit of an understatement. In verse 1, he's greatly displeased and angry. Now, the Hebrew says something like, Jonah was angry with great anger and he was incensed. Now, Just in case you don't get the point the first time. And what's hilarious and incongruous is that he's angry that the whole city of Nineveh has been saved from destruction. Everyone else is cheering, but not Jonah. You would think he'd be pretty pleased with the result. It's not bad for one day's missionary work. It's the most successful missionary uh, proclamation ever. And yet instead he's angry. He's angry that God has been compassionate and gracious... And Jonah even says that that's why he ran away from God in the first place. The funny thing is, Jonah doesn't seem to mind that God was compassionate and gracious for Jonah himself. While Jonah was sucking in a lungful of water on the bottom of the sea, he quite liked the fact that God was gracious then. But here in chapter 4, he's not so pleased when God's compassion is for someone else. In fact, he's so angry here, he says he wants to die. So why does he get so angry? Have a closer look at exactly what he says in verse 2. O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That's why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, at the very least, he's saying that he, he knew it would all be a waste of his time. He's angry because he could have been doing something else useful with his time. God would, was, uh, was going to forgive them from the very beginning because that's what he's like. So, why did Jonah need to go? Or perhaps he's angry because of the harm that this uh, would do to his reputation as a prophet. He'd prophesied that God would destroy Nineveh, but then it didn't happen. And so now Jonah's got this black mark against his name, and what sort of a prophet uh, has prophecies that don't come true? But I think there's a third reason Jonah's angry, and it's to do with his description of God. His description's actually a quote from God himself back in Exodus chapter 34. As God passes in front of Moses, who's on Mount Sinai, this is what God says about himself, about how he will always act towards his people Israel. Exodus 34, verse 5. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. And Jonah's point here is, this is how you act towards Israel. But you sent, me, <coughs> you sent me to Nineveh, and I knew what you were like. I knew that you'd just forgive them, and then I'd have to share you with this nation of Nineveh. I'm angry that you've treated them the way you treat us. Now, he's got God 100% right. The problem is he's not seeing himself, he's not seeing Israel correctly. He's actually forgotten the context of this quote that he's, he's using from Exodus 34. Now, the context is in Exodus chapter 32, the people had made a golden calf and they'd bowed down and they'd worshipped it. And God had threatened to destroy them the whole nation. But Moses pleads with God. Moses says, turn from your anger. Relent. Do not bring disaster on or do not do evil to your people. Exodus, uh, sorry, uh, Exodus 32, 12. And listen to God's response, verse 14. We're told the Lord relented and did not bring on his people or he did not do the evil he'd threatened. And then he goes on in chapter 34 to describe his character as it's been just expressed. Uh, He describes in words what he's just shown in action. He says that he's compassionate and gracious, that he's slow to anger, that he abounds in love and faithfulness. Now here's what's interesting and I think deliberate on the path on the part of the author of Jonah. Moses' prayer and God's response should sound familiar to us uh, because they're almost exactly what happens to Nineveh. Uh, Do you remember from Jonah chapter 3, verse 9, the king of Nineveh? Here's what he said. He said, "'Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. "'Let everyone call urgently on God. "'Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. "'Who knows? "'God may yet relent.'" And with compassion turn from his fierce anger, so we will not perish. A prayer that God would relent and turn. And what's God's response? Jonah chapter 3, verse 10 when the when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not do the evil he'd threatened. It's the same prayer as Moses, and it's the same response from God right down to a repetition of these same three words for relent and do and evil the hypocrisy is astounding from Jonah God has treated Nineveh the same way he's treated Israel but Jonah's forgotten he's forgotten that Israel deserves God's just punishment just as much as Nineveh does Israel is just as undeserving of mercy as Nineveh is. But of course it's not only Jonah who needs to learn this lesson. The whole book of Jonah is written for the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel who has this same attitude that Jonah does. And of course it's written for us as well. We need to learn the lesson too. When we hate our enemies rather than love them, when we wish them harm rather than good, when we're angry that the wicked fail to receive the justice they deserve, we forget that we're no more deserving of mercy than they are. We're meant to look at Jonah here and and see ourselves in a mirror. And so God needs to teach Jonah and us a lesson. So there's Jonah, so angry, he asks... God to kill him, and verse 4, God quite rightly asks him whether he has has any right to be angry. But Jonah doesn't give an answer. Just as in chapter 1, he just walks away. He heads outside the city, a nice safe distance away, and he sets up a little shelter, he makes himself comfortable, and he sits down to wait, hoping He'll have a front row seat for the big fireworks display for for when God zaps Nineveh. You see, that's what he's waiting for. The 40 days are not up yet. And even though he knows that God has turned from his anger and forgiven the Ninevites, he's hoping that perhaps God will have second thoughts. Perhaps he's hoping that the Ninevites will have second thoughts. He's hoping that one of them will repent of their repentance. The Ninevites had hoped that God would be merciful. But here we've got Jonah hoping that God won't. And that God will, in the end, destroy Nineveh, like Jonah had uh, prophesied. So there's Jonah sitting under his little uh, shelter. And so God decides to teach him a lesson. Verse 6. Uh, he provides a vine and the vine grows up over Jonah's sunshade and it makes a lovely, cool covering. And now, rather than being angry, Jonah's very happy. But that's just step one of God's plan. As well as providing a vine, verse 7, next day he provides a worm. And then verse 8, he provides a scorching east wind. And while the worm is nibbling through the stem and the wind is dehydrating the plant, and then just in time for the burning midday sun, the vine withers away, and there's Jonah, unprotected, uncomfortable and hot. And now, Jonah's happiness and comfort uh, become discomfort and depression. And at the end of verse 8, he says, it would be better for me to die than to live. Uh, again, he wants to die. And once again, the question comes from God. Verse nine, I've already asked if you've any right to be angry about Nineveh, but what about the vine? Do you have any right to be angry about the vine? Now, now this time Jonah replies. He couldn't care less about the city of Nineveh, but the vine, well, now that's a different story. Verse nine, "I, I do. I'm perfectly justified to be angry. I'm angry enough to die. It's terrible that this vine has died. What a waste. I really miss this vine. Well, now God's made his point. He he provided the vine to teach Jonah a lesson, to help him see things God's way. Look at verse 10. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh, as more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well, should I not be concerned about that great city? Now God makes three points of contrast. One, there's Jonah and God, and they're both concerned about something. Two, uh, we've got a vine, it's temporary, it's unimportant, compared to Nineveh, which is huge and without guidance. And three, we've got Jonah and his relationship to the vine. He's done nothing to grow the vine. He's got nothing invested in the vine. And then we've got God and the Ninevites. They're God's creatures. God has tended and grown them, unlike Jonah and the uh, the vine. Do you see God's point? You, Jonah, were concerned about this insignificant vine that you did nothing uh, to, to grow. You've got nothing invested in this vine. How much more should I be concerned for Nineveh, my precious creation? The last words in Hebrew are, and many cattle too. You see, God's even concerned about the cattle. After all, the cattle dressed up in sackcloth as well, so why shouldn't God be concerned for them? That's how big God's heart is for his creation. And there's the really beautiful detail when God describes them uh, in this way their right hand, uh, they can't tell their right hand from their left. It's probably a reference to not having God's law. And he's comparing Nineveh with Israel. Israel who have so many privileges. The prophets, the law, they have kings and judges. All guides to guide them, uh, to teach them what's right and wrong. Privileges that come from being in a, a covenant relationship with God. Signposts that show them right from wrong. But Nineveh have none of that. And God's challenge to, to Jonah and to us is, is this. What about you? What privilege do you have? We're Australian. We're free to study the Bible and worship God with a government that looks after us. We're educated. We're wealthy. What do we do with those privileges? Are we stretching and growing our knowledge making use of our education? Are we using our freedoms to help others, to help those who don't speak English well or who struggle to fill in forms or access government departments or need help? How do we use our money and resources, our homes, our cars, our books, our technology, things God's given us to use for his kingdom? What have we done with those privileges? Most importantly, we've got the privilege of knowing God's mercy in Jesus, of having sin graciously wiped away, of knowing personally that God is gracious and compassionate towards us, that He's slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness to us. What a privilege! So how can we hate our enemy? How can we fail to show them the same love and grace and mercy that God has shown us and has shown them? That's the challenge for us. I want you to think about someone you don't like, someone who annoys you, who, who frustrates you, who, maybe someone here at church, maybe at work, maybe a relative, someone who you would leave the room or cross the road to avoid. I want you to think about the characteristics of that person that annoy you the most. And then I want you to consider each of those characteristics. When have you been guilty of exactly that same failing, that same characteristic? perhaps pride or speaking over the top of people or dismissing people or impatience. Of course, the reality is we are no better than that person that we don't like. Uh, We deserve God's mercy no more than that person. You see, that's God's lesson to Jonah. Think about your enemy Nineveh the way that I think about Nineveh. Yes, says God, they're wicked. Yes, says God, they deserve to be wiped out. But God says, look at it from my perspective. They're my creatures. They're my creatures. The book of Jonah finishes with God's question, ringing in the air. Shouldn't I be concerned for that great city? Shouldn't I be concerned for that great city? Jonah is a book about the mysterious, inscrutable ways of God. The God who demands justice and mercy and righteousness, who in perfect justice could wipe out us all, but who in mercy and love wants a restored relationship with us, who restores and repairs that relationship, providing the just payment. Bridging the gap, and who, despite his infinite power, waits patiently for his creatures to respond. Shouldn't I be concerned for that great city? And that question that's on God's lips, it's left hanging by the book of Jonah. Jonah doesn't respond. We don't know whether he ends up learning God's lesson. And so the chance to respond is left up to us, the reader. The question is asked of us by God. Shouldn't I be concerned for that great city? It becomes our question. Shouldn't you be concerned for this great city? Shouldn't we be concerned for this great city? And so the task of Jonah becomes our task. There are millions of people out there in Sydney Millions who don't know their right hand from their left. And God says to us today, shouldn't we be concerned for this great city? So what about you? Are you concerned? What will you do about it? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, We pray that you would help us to see you the way we should, as merciful and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love. Uh, Not just as abstract concepts, but in how you deal with each of us, how you deal with Nineveh, how you deal with Israel, how you deal with Australia. Uh, May we know and accept people uh, the way you accept them, Make us concerned for this great city. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.